Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. Our mission is to connect the past and the present NICU mom by bringing them out of isolation and into a sisterhood of women who can stand alongside each other as we heal and grow both in and out of the NICU. Our hope is that through interviews with trauma-informed medical and maternal mental health experts and vulnerable stories from NICU mamas themselves, that you would feel connected to the Dear NICU Mama Sisterhood around the world. So, whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago, or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas. Welcome to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your host, Martha and Ashley. I was trying to add a lot of different musical points of reference I, there. I, I felt that. It was very theatrical. Very sing-songy. <laughs> I've been told I my voice is too sing-songy before, to which I say, shut up. Shut up. Yes. Anyway, what would self-compassion say? <laughs> to to myself, I'd say, your voice is a gift. Amen. We should mm. be so lucky to hear you speak. Amen. Yes. Um, I am an I am an, an angel. Uh, I'm, I'm going to make this into a Instagram graphic. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. The timber of my voice is delightful. Man, great work. Um, uh, Ash, how have you been recently? You know, we're getting through. We're kind of getting close to end of wedding season. So I'm starting to see our evenings come back and weekends come back. Yeah. So super jazzed about that. And today it was 60 degrees. So I'm celebrating that it feels like fall outside today and not 90 like it was two days ago. (laughs) That's It's really mean when we get a taste of fall than what they call second summer. And then we yeah. have the false alarm. Oh my gosh. Thank goodness it is truly, truly fallout. Yes. So today, mamas, we, as you know, sometimes we have the gift of interviewing experts in perinatal, uh, maternal mental health or obstetrics. And then other times we have the wonderful opportunity of interviewing moms just like you. Nikki moms from around the world and their journeys. And today, that's exactly what we're going to do. We have Taylor Coachmit here. Taylor, did I pronounce your name correctly? You did it. Yay! <laughs> In a Taylor's... beautiful sing-songy voice. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Taylor is a real gift. Um, Ash has been had a lot of time to interact with her over the se- past several months. And I just spent mm-hmm. a lot of time doing the grandma thing where I went through and liked almost all of your Instagram photos. <laughs> so you're going to have a lot of it- notifications after this. Um, Ash, do you want to talk about how you first met Taylor or what your first in your kind of interactions were like? Yeah. To be honest, Taylor, I can't remember our first interaction. All I remember is falling in love with you instantly. And when we first connected with you, you were still in the NICU with Milo and he was kicking butt, but you guys definitely had some triumphs and setbacks. And why am I getting emotional right now? I don't know why. I like can't handle it. (gasps) Oh, but I just remember, um, when you posted his discharge and he was finally home and then recently, why am I crying so much right now, Taylor? I just love you. Um, recently he was baptized and that was super special for you guys. And so 
you are such a hoot and holler to sound old as well, Martha. Um, but really, you you bring so much joy wherever you go. Um, we've had the honor of having you at some of our girls' night outs and our events and things. And you always just bring such a fun energy to the, the group when sometimes it can be really heavy some days, especially with the pandemic. And so just know that your joy is contagious and we're so grateful for you and you. just really excited to share your story. <laughs> I'll say the other thing that I've heard about you is, is that, you know, you're, you're a blast and a half, but in a way that makes space for other moms. Yes, and I just want to yes. say that that's really unique yep, um, thanks, because guys. you're really, really close still to that epicenter of, of everything that's happened for you. And it's still going on. Yep. Well, we'll talk about that more, but um, to be able to create a lot of space for other moms, it's like mm -hmm. the cornerstone of what Dear Nikki Mom is all about. So. Yeah. You belong here. You're part of the team in the sisterhood from day one. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Also, Taylor's – you had the top fundraising team for Walking oh, Letter of Hope Day. Woohoo! Thanks, guys. It was amazing. It was so cool. Yeah, you it were amazing. really cool. I'm not yeah. competitive at all. <laughs> you also no. have, like – we always talk about how like amazing your friends are. We don't like never met them, but like anytime you post pictures with your friends, we're like they have so much fun. Yeah, and my like, sister. Seeing, and your sister and seeing how much like your friends rallied with you for Walking Letter of Hope Day and just all of your little things that you do together, we're like we need to be friends with Taylor's friends. They're in. <laughs> Thanks, They're guys. Amazing. But man, well, we're so excited to share your story, and we kind of want to start at the very beginning. And just kind of hear a little bit about, um, you know, who you are. So would you be willing to just give us a little taste of who Taylor is and a little bit about you before we get into Milo's story? A little teeny tiny sample. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm Taylor Coachman, like you guys said. Um, I'm a wife to John. I have an older daughter, Charlie, who mm -hmm. is payback wrapped in dynamite. <laughs> um, and then mama to sweet Milo and dog mama to Stella and blue. And, um, just that's me. That's you. Yeah. Um, I love all of Charlie's updates. She is like a total spitfire. She's going to rule the world someday. I know it. Yes. I always say she is that <laughs> meme that my daughter's going to change the world someday. I just have to survive raising her first. That is her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love the ones where you're like, either my daughter's going to be a CEO or a dictator of a small, like, um, oh, 100%. East, Eastern European country. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Juvie or the White House, one of the two. <laughs> Amen. Maybe yeah. both. <sighs> I love First it. Ever. <laughs> so, how old was Charlie when you found out that you were pregnant with Milo? Oh my God. What year is it? What day is it? Um, <laughs> I think she just turned four or, oh no, she was going to be four. She was like, what, three and a half, something like that. Yeah. Sure. It was February 20. What year was that? 2020? 2020. <laughs> what else happened yeah. that month? I feel like nothing else. Yeah, right. Nothing else in the world. Nothing happened, happened whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. We had started trying to get pregnant when she was like about to be two. I got pregnant right away and I miscarried right mm -hmm. away. And then um, we tried for a very, very long time and kind of like had accepted that it wasn't going to happen. And we're like, maybe we'll foster and like 
you know, do that journey. And then all of a sudden I was pregnant and I have no idea how. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy. That's so wild. And so, you know, after you had struggled with infertility for a couple of years, what was it like to be pregnant? I mean, how was your pregnancy? Was it similar to Charlie's? Was it completely different? Um, very similar and very, very, very different. Um, I felt, I, I knew I was pregnant before I took a test. I felt the same again, like that Mm. extreme exhaustion that I have only ever felt one other time before, um, or two other times before. And, um, in other ways, so different. Um, I had such a fear that came with this Milo's pregnancy after having miscarried. It was, Mm -hmm. I was devastated by it. Um, and then after not being able, you know, to get pregnant after that, I just felt like this need for protection and this, um, fear involved with it. And then, um, a week after my eight week appointment, the world shut down because of Mm -hmm. COVID. I started bleeding and thought I was miscarrying, um, Mm, and panicked. And I like, I just, we were all in like a super, super dark place. You know, John was first working from home in our basement in a closet pretty much with no window, Mm -hmm. um, and was struggling mentally and, um, his coping was leading him towards, um, some alcohol issues. I was going to bed at like six o'clock every night because I was just like, so I would put Charlie down and I was just like done. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, some, some of those, um, like I was nauseous and throwing up a lot in the beginning and headaches. Um, but after, after that kind of subsided, um, it was a fairly normal pregnancy, um, up until my 20 week anatomy scan. Hmm. I think, I think, you know, it's a really important thing to, for all of us to really put ourselves back at the beginning. Um, because, you know, to be pregnant now, obviously there's the weight of COVID and all that, but at the beginning there was a huge level of uncertainty. There were so many things we did not know or understand. So to have Mm -hmm. that riding alongside kind of the trauma and the, the concerns that you have following a miscarriage, I, that that's a lot for you to bear and take on mm-hmm. and, and John too. Mm-hmm. I was so irrational guys. I just have to tell you that for some reason, my coping mechanism was to like run to the store in a hazmat suit and gloves and buy all the fish frozen fish sticks that I don't eat and toilet paper. Cause I was like, when, right. when right. the zombie apocalypse is finally right. here and we can yeah. no longer get goods, I will have frozen fish sticks and we will be okay. Because, like, we couldn't find chicken around here. I don't right. know if you guys could. Um, so I was like, frozen fish sticks are the answer. So now, yeah. like, if anyone comes over, you go home with a bag of frozen <laughs> fish sticks. Because I, I was so that. pregnant and so irrational. <laughs> and it, like, made me feel good to have fro- frozen fish sticks. Try to say that three times fast right. um, from yeah. my freezer. And to, like, have toilet paper. Oh, And so I'm sure, too, like, when the beginning of COVID, and still today, but the high risk population was pregnant women. So not only are you trying to navigate the newness of a pandemic that we've never been through, but also carrying this new child that you've been trying to conceive for years. And so that's just a lot mentally and emotionally to carry all while like also being a present mom to Charlie. (laughs) Yeah. It was tough. Um, And I, you know, yeah, I was just so, 
so scared and so irrational in the beginning Mm -hmm. that it really just took a toll on all of us. Right. So you mentioned that the 20 week anatomy scan showed some concerns. So would you be willing to share a little bit about what you found at that scan? Yeah. So, um, I at first had the ultrasound at, uh, my doctor's office and I, I think the order of things was that they couldn't find, I believe the left kidney. Um, and so they're like, okay, we're going to send you to Glenbrook hospital and we're going to do a higher level ultrasound. So then I go there. Meanwhile, like every time I go to a different hospital, it is like COVID checks with lines around the building getting in. I have this like already am terrified about this baby and irrationally thinking I'm going to lose it. Um, and there, you know, they move the ultrasound around for about an hour. They can't find it. So like, okay, we need to send you to, um, maternal fetal health at Evanston hospital. And, um, you're going to see a specialist there. So I go in and they still can't find the kidney, but they're like, you know, sometimes it's there. It's just in a weird spot and we can't see it. Um, so don't worry. But then, um, they brought in another specialist and he thought that there was a rather large size hole in the baby's heart. I don't know why I'm saying the baby Milo. Um, And so they wanted us to come back um, in a couple of weeks. They wanted to give us enough time to see if, um, if there was closure happening for it to happen on its own. So I went back a couple weeks later I had to go by myself um, because of COVID. They wouldn't let me have a support person. And we had actually had like a little bit of a scare with Charlie when I was pregnant with her. Um, they, My genetic testing came back and there was an elevated risk of Down syndrome. So I'd had to have a CVS procedure um, to check on that. It wouldn't have changed anything, but just given us information um, to prepare for her birth if there was something wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up being uh, no issue. So I kind of went into that appointment being like, this happens, you know, um, Mm -hmm. it's probably just a scare. Everything's going to be fine. Um, So it's like no big deal that John can't come. I'm not even going to have him like drive and wait in the car because like everything's going to be fine. And I get there and I sit down and they're testing the fire alarms that day. Right. In the hospital. As they were. So Mm -hmm. for an hour alone, pregnant during COVID, fire alarms went off while they told me that my baby had a very large hole in his heart. It was not going to close. Um, and that that paired with his kidney issue um, could mean that there was a greater issue at play um, that we wouldn't know for sure until he was born. They threw out a couple of scary syndromes associations that it could be. But they also said that it could just be random two issues. But a a lot of times, if there are two issues, there's usually more. So I was devastated and terrified. Um, You know, we had waited so long for this baby. And I, I already felt kind of, you know, selfishly like I was robbed, you know, having being pregnant finally during COVID. And like we had I was just so excited for Charlie to have a sibling. I love my siblings so much. And I just was like, oh my gosh, we're not getting these like special moments that I dreamed about like 
telling people in special ways. And mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I was, it's silly now after going through what we've been through to worry about mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But you know, when, when you're pregnant and you're excited, like yeah. it, that stuff runs through your mind. Absolutely. Um, And just also just like after experiencing a miscarriage now, you know, worrying about this baby's health, Milo's health. Um, I was very scared. And mm-hmm. um, so I went home and I, John was working at my parents' house. Um, and I told John and I told my parents and I just said, you know, I, I think I was like 26, 28 weeks pregnant at that point. So I still had a, a long way to go and just like, terrified of what possibilities were out there for my son. Mm-hmm. Um, and knowing that I was going to have to go the rest of this pregnancy without knowing, they said, you know, we had done genetic testing, nothing showed up on that. And so we, we were just going to have to kind of wait and see that our plan was going to be to have Milo and assume that there's nothing else wrong, go home and come back at four to six months um, when he was big enough to have his open heart surgery. Mm. So I tried not to open Google um, mm. and look at these things. I did look up one of the, they call it an association, vectoral association. And I read what it could mean for him and it was terrible. Um, so I just was like, okay, I can't go the rest mm. of this pregnancy thinking about this. We spoke to the neonatologist and they kind of answered any questions that we had and any fears that we had the best that they could and just basically told us to prepare for the best and you know they would kind of deal with it when he was born there wasn't anything we could do yeah you know you mentioned thanks for sharing all that taylor i mean it's there's not a lot of time, we talk about this all the time, where you sit down and you walk about, you walk through your journey from beginning to end chronologically and you verbally say it all out loud. Um, right. So I, your vulnerability is, is really courage on display. Mm-hmm. I also Thanks, just want to call out, you said that, you know, you mentioned, you know, it felt silly or selfish to feel that way. And um, I just want to acknowledge uh, that that's not the case at all that you are completely valid, even to this day, to say, I, you know, be frustrated and sad that you couldn't have announced it or told people you loved about um, Charlie's new sibling and Milo in the way you wanted to. And it also, um, just to call out, it wasn't just that one thing. It was also (laughs) miscarriage and COVID and your marriage and all these things that are really hard. Mm -hmm. So um, just want to call out the fact that because you are still standing and the faith that you even just sat and took in all that information by yourself, Taylor. What's the fire alarms? Yeah. Yeah. With fire alarms going on. With oh my fire God. Alarms. It was a what movie. A, what a metaphor. What a metaphor, really. Oh my God. Yeah. I was like, can someone turn those things off? <laughs> okay. Not to like do a complete diversion here, but before this episode, I told Taylor that she should write a book because there's just like so many wild things that have happened to you, Taylor. And I no. have a title for you of what it could be. It would be called, And Then This Happened. By Taylor Copeman. <laughs> but literally because it's like, and then the fire alarms happened. Right. And then this happened. And then the right. pandemic happened. I know. Like there's just like all these things where it's like. Right. Exactly, Ashley. And then this right. happened. Yes. Yeah. So Sorry. Not to make a silly note to what Martha said, because I echo everything that Martha just said. I. But that completely... is my life is making a silly 
know, out of all of it. It's a perfectly helping coping mechanism, and I love it, Taylor. Right. Thank you. (laughs) There's a meme that says, whatever whatever doesn't kill you um, gives you, like, a wicked sense of humor and, like, whatever, and that is. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. The one that's That's like, am I okay? No. Am I funny? Yes. Um, (laughs) Right. Exactly. So you get all this information, you take it in. How does that affect the way that you and John walk through the rest of the pregnancy together? So it was strange. Um, I have this like theory in life that I'm a tennis player. um, And I firmly believe like if you play doubles, you can't both suck at once. Like one of you has to be on and one of you can suck. And I kind of feel that way about marriage is like, there have been times in our marriage where like I've struggled with depression and I've had a hard time. And like John has like stepped up and he's been the one. Um, And after getting that news and like everything that we were going through during COVID, I kind of like felt this extreme need to like be the one and like be the strong person because I saw him struggling. Um, so I was kind of like, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. But like super scared. Um, but also I felt this extreme desire to celebrate Milo because Mm -hmm. I had done that with his sister. We had the baby showers. We did all the fun things that you do preparing to have your baby and that were so joyful. And like, we truly enjoyed my pregnancy with Charlie. And Mm -hmm. I just felt like I really thought that Milo deserved that and that I like, why do I always feel like I shouldn't be selfish, but like I, I shouldn't be like dwelling on what could happen when things could very well be okay. And so I, I tried to like put it out of my mind and just like also really enjoy our last moments as a family of three and like Mm -hmm. enjoy Charlie summer came and I like, I was like, let's go to the lake house. Like let's, really make this a special time for Charlie and about her being a big sister. Um, Even though every time I came back from an ultrasound, she was like, is it a sister yet? Or is it still a brother? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I, you know, it was, um, it was difficult. It was stressful. um, But also I like really was trying to like protect Milo's story and this pregnancy and like make it positive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how was his delivery? So I was actually set to be induced and I like a week early. Um, And then I ended up going into labor on my own the week before that. So I was like kind of surprised. So we got in there, got all hooked up, got comfortable. You know, it's very comfortable. Uh, (laughs) And with COVID, we, even though they test you right when you get in, um, and I tested negative, they still have you wear a mask, um, Mm. because it's to protect you, I guess, because they don't test the nurses and the doctors. So I, my contractions were super close together, immediately, but I like was not progressing at all. So they ended up having to induce me anyways, even though I was in active labor. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was super painful. I had had like a very, even though my delivery with Charlie was 
long because I was induced with her. I like I felt good. I like went in with my hair blown out and like makeup on <laughs> and like you know got my epidural and like was feeling yes. fine. We had a playlist <laughs> going and like yes. I the week before I had Milo, I jinxed myself. I was like, John, I don't understand those women in movies who are like screaming and sweating and swearing. <laughs> like you get your epidural and everything's fine. And mm. after three and a half epidurals, um, I still could feel everything. Wow. Except for from my knees down or like my thighs down, I had no feeling. Oh my gosh. Cool. Um, yeah. That's yeah. great. So exactly where you need it. Yeah. Um, right. So I was like, literally out of the movie knocked up. I was like absolutely screaming, throwing up into my mask and into my oh, hair. So um awful. threw my mask at the nurse and was like, I'm done with this. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. And um like begging for a C section. Um and then finally, I mean, I pushed for a long time. Um he came out and um the NICU team was in there and they kind of like grabbed him, checked him out. I was like screaming to John to like get over there and like see if he was okay. Um, Cause with this association that they had like kind of scared us that he could have uh, one of the things is like um, smaller limbs or like um, missing an anus uh, mm-hmm. spine uh, issues. So I was like, John go over there and like check his arms, check his legs. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, he looks good. Um, so they like wiped him off and put him on my chest and I, I had like a little snuggly moment with him and then destroyed a nurse station turkey sandwich using him as my plate because I only deliver children at night when delivery services are unavailable. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, after a little bit, I was like starting to fall asleep while holding him and I got scared that I was going to drop him. So I asked the nurses if they could take him to the nursery and that they were going to do like all the, you know, the screening things and like the bath and all that. Um, so they took him away. And then pretty soon after they came back and were like, no, he's not swallowing. We're taking him uh, to the NICU. That's a pretty big moment. I mean, what did you know about NICUs before that? So Charlie was actually in the NICU. Um but for like, I don't even know, 36 hours, something like that. She swallowed meconium um, or aspirated on meconium, but she like recovered pretty quickly. I was so dramatic. I was like, I will sleep in the hallway if you discharge me and not her. Also probably jinxed myself. Um, and so I like, I the NICU was on my radar, but I didn't know a lot about it. And uh, I... Like, I kind of had, like, put it out of my head. Like, we're going to go home, and he's going to come back in four months, and we're going to do open-heart right. surgery. So I yeah. I really was not thinking about it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, you're a full-term NICU mom. So it's right. sometimes it's hard to always associate the NICU with full-term right. babies. And so I'm sure that was also, like, trying to wrap your mind around that as well. Absolutely. It would be a lot. Yeah. Did you see him at all before they took him? To the NICU? After so the- I had him I had him on him on me for a little bit and then they took him to the NICU and then they were examining him, putting a repogal in because he wasn't able to swallow secretions. And then it was like visiting time was over. And so they kind of were like, Okay, first thing in the morning, like you're gonna go down and see him, get some sleep. Mm-hmm. So 
We did not so sleep. You're like instantly separated from him essentially after yeah. that. Yes. And then in that morning, they were like, okay, visiting is open. Like you guys can go down. So John wheeled me down there. I It took me a long time to get feeling back in my legs because I had had um, a few epidurals. <laughs> yeah. In, yeah. In, in my thighs. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then this so, happened. Gotta make sure happened. feel those kneecaps. You know, right? God forbid. So John wheeled me down there, and when we got there, they already had a transfer team there. They were like, "Hey, listen, he's going to need to have surgery like very, very soon." Um, so our surgeon isn't here; he's out of town. So we have to transfer you to another hospital. Lutheran General is here and they're taking him. And was so, this for his heart or what was the surgery for? This was for his esophagus. So when he okay. was born, they realized right away that he wasn't swallowing. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were like, okay, this is the third kidney. There's an association called Vectoral Association. And if you, there's no like genetic test to be like, you for sure have this. But if you have three out of the, what is it, like six things, then they, call it this association. So mm-hmm. his kidney was there. It was just in the wrong place. It's in his pelvis and, and a little bit small. Um, he has the heart condition. And then they noticed that he wasn't swallowing. So they diagnosed him with having a TEF, a tracheoesophageal fistula. So essentially his mm-hmm. esophagus wasn't corrected properly mm-hmm. and there was like a leak in it. So they loaded him up in the ambulance. John got in his car and followed him. And they left me there. And I said, I need someone here with me. I can't do this by myself. Mm-hmm. I just gave birth and they just took my baby away. Um, and they said, because of COVID, if I was to have another support person come, then John wouldn't be allowed back in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay, I want my husband to come back. So I will lay here by myself um, and cry until John gets back here. So John followed, he, he got to the hospital, had no idea what he was doing because he was following the ambulance. Um, but he made it through, he found the children's portion of the hospital and he made sure I wanted him to just like make sure Milo like got into the right hands and was like hooked up to everything there and like situated. And then he came back. Mm -hmm. Um, and he assured me, he took pictures and talked to the doctor and I spent the next 24 hours convincing them to let me go, even though I couldn't walk so that I could reunite with Milo. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Taylor. That's that's just devastating. And again, a reminder of early on in that COVID thing, we, I think we've moved past and forgotten how, how, what that meant for mothers who are giving birth on alone Mm -hmm. and then also recovering alone. And then you have medical crises and you're doing them completely alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, again, like the fact that you, you're still standing is quite, quite in fact, miraculous. It is. Just yeah. wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> and then this happens. And, and then, then this, this happens. Well, and from <sighs> a fellow, from a fellow transfer mama, I remember that feeling of saying like waving goodbye, you, you know, just essentially being like, okay, take care of them, you know, and there, there is nothing that feels natural about that. Everything about it feels wrong, let alone to be 
to really not have the option to leave. You know, like you are recovering from surgery. You can't even have a support system. And so that times 10 is excruciating as a mother. Yeah, it really was. Also, like seeing them in that like isolate, the ambulance isolate is just like the craziest thing in the world. I was like, Hey, aren't you going to buckle them in? I know. Like, there's no seatbelt in that box. <laughs> it's like a Vel- it looks like a Velcro box. And right. you're like, are you sure? This and is we transferred again. We transferred to another hospital down oh, the road. Yeah. And I rode with him that time. And it's a long drive. And seeing him like jostle around in there. Yeah. At, like, And the first time he did it without me, I was like, oh. and he was just born. It's like right. the most unnatural thing you ever, yeah. ever. could experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Do you think too, and I wonder this for both of you, is I feel like some and some providers, some um, ambulance staff do it better than others. But yeah. they, it's like every day for them. So they're just oh like, my you God. just go strap them in here. And you're just like, this is the worst day of my life. And like kind of aggressive. Like, <laughs> right. Because they're like, they're fine. They're, they're in there. And like, they're loading them in. And it's like, boom, boom. Yeah. And you're like. <laughs> That is my precious newborn baby that you just thumped into that ambulance. I know. Well, and Silas's first transfer was plane. So he was put on a plane. Oh, and my they, gosh. They put these little, like, stickers on his ears. <laughs> and, like, and I was like, I what are those? And they're like, oh, it's his earmuffs. I'm like, earmuffs? And they're like, yeah, because oh we're going on a plane. So they put these, like, little stickers. Do you have it? You have pictures of that? Ashley? I do. They were little yellow. I have them oh in his God. little NICU kit or like his Aww. little like. Isn't it funny? Like the things that we want to keep. <laughs> I know. So like weird. his first earmuffs. Anyways, yeah. I'm so sorry. But... Squirrel. <laughs> Squirrel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets transferred. Does he yes. have the surgery while you're at the other hospital or were you able to transfer before the surgery? <sighs> so he was born on the 16th. The 17th, they transferred him. The 18th, late afternoon, I finally convinced them to discharge me, like signed one of those things that it was like against my best interest. And they let me go. And John took me straight to see him. And so that we could talk to the surgical team before the next day on the 19th, he had his repair. Because I didn't even like have... A full con. I hadn't talked to the doctor yet. Like I didn't even know what the diagnosis really was, right? Or what the repair was, or where I was going to be during the surgery. They said only I could stay. Only one of us could be there for his surgery. So we decided that I would sit in the waiting room and John would sit at his mom's house. She lived close to the hospital that Milo was at. And we kind of like, you know, ran through what was going to happen, how many hours the surgery was going to be. I met the surgeon and met, you know, the team and the hospital, the second hospital that we were at, they only allow or allowed one parent to visit at a time in a total of three hours scheduled a day because it was a pod. So they were only allowing a certain people in the room at a time. So we would like oh. have to call and make an appointment, like a block of time. So if John and I both went, we each got an hour and a half or if only one of us went, we got three hours. So we both went that day. So he talked to the surgeon. Then I talked to the surgeon and yeah, we started our crazy journey. So the next day I sat in the hospital. It it says it's a children's hospital, but it's like an adult hospital that has like an area that's a children's hospital. It's not like a freestanding children's hospital. So because of that, the COVID rules were like 
very focused towards adult patients, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so then like when Milo had surgery, I was sitting in a surgical waiting area with like people whose parents were having like a hip replacement. And it was just a very wild situation to sit there for, I think the surgery was like six hours long um, by myself without my husband, without my mom. And you had just had major surgery, like either, did I don't think we heard, did you have a C-section? Or I did not you- have a C-section. Okay. But yeah. like a major medical instance. Yeah. You had- and I could not, I still couldn't walk. John was yes. healing me in and oh, out. Oh my goodness. Uh, and, oh but then like, gosh. I didn't, I didn't want to be like uh, such a woman. I didn't want to be like troublesome the day of the surgery. So John like wheeled me in and then I walked like this giant hospital to the surgical waiting oh. area like limping along. Yeah. And so then I was like in a lot of pain, like sitting there and I like hadn't even processed what was happening. So I hadn't brought like the proper snackage or like entertainment required for a six hour sit or like a cozy blankie. And I looked over at one point and (laughs) this woman had a travel pillow around her neck (sighs) and like a blanket and was like watching a comedy on headphones and like eating snacks and I was like, this woman is my hero. And was like laughing out loud at the, at the movie. And I was like kind of upset because I was like, how are you laughing when my child's in surgery? But I also right. was like, can I have some of those raisinets? Right. Yes. It's so strange. Yeah. Can You know what? You bring up a really good point, Taylor, which is like the the there's like a burden on NICU moms, which is like the burden of logistics. Yeah. Like, I have to – I have just come out of – childbirth which is like the most significant medical thing you could go through but and you don't have any of your things you're not home you've been transferred all the time but then also it's on you to be like and don't forget the snacks taylor you right. know what I mean? like that's so <laughs> unfair and it just like adds to the layer of stress that you go through oh my gosh yeah so how how crazy. did you were you being communicated with about the status of the surgery while it was going on how did you find out how it went yeah, they did a good job. Um, there was like a secretary in the waiting room and they would call into her and tell me to like come to the phone and I would hear from the surgeon or the assistant. And then when the surgery was over, the surgeon came out and brought me into a conference room and let me know how the surgery went. And then the worst part is, you know, Milo goes through a major surgery. Actually, crazily enough, I thought open heart surgery would be the most like invasive hard recovery surgery that a baby could go through, but his esophagus surgery was way more complicated and a way longer, harder recovery. So then he finishes his surgery and they're like, okay, you already had your visitation for the day (gasps) before his surgery. So you can see him and give him a kiss, but then you have to leave immediately because other parents have their visitation. So I've just given birth to this baby. I like haven't even had that time to like bond with him. We've been separated. He has crazy surgery. He's sedated. He's on the vent. And I'm like, okay, good job, Milo. I love you. I give him a kiss. And they're like, you got to go. You can call the secretary to make your appointment for tomorrow. Mm-mm. Yeah. Crazy. Wow. That's and awful. can you remind me of what month this was? Because I'm trying to like picture. October. Wow. Yeah. So I found out I was pregnant. Like at the right before the lockdown. Right. And then I had my whole pregnancy through. It was weird. So, like, my first appointment, it was like no mask, 
Uh, we right. just found out that COVID was going on and, there, and I was supposed to travel the next week. I was going to Arizona for um, spring training for the Cubs and I was going nice. to watch some games and with Charlie and my family. And then the next appointment I had, the world had shut down and like people were like taking me through back halls in hazmat suits to get to my appointments to mm-hmm. avoid like the COVID testing line outside. And then it like wow. the whole pandemic was like my pregnancy. Wow. Just wild. Wild. It's just hard to like, you know, I don't think we've, Martha had the opportunity to like talk to a mom yet who's both pregnancy and delivery were both so significantly enwrapped in like the pandemic, let alone the surgeries of everything. Um, And it's just heartbreaking. I mean, we didn't know what we didn't know at the time. Right. And yet yet you kind of look back and you're like, how is this? right for the mother and you know it's it's just hard to really I don't know it's so hard because obviously you just want everyone to do like what's safest for everyone yeah Yeah. but also the disregard to mental health that went on yeah right is crazy I mean but we didn't know medical professionals didn't know so yeah it was just like the last priority. It was just like, right. we just can't, we cannot consider Physical it Physical lives over mental right. health. Yeah. And I get well, it. And you as a parent would have done anything to protect yeah. them. Right. Yes. Pandemic. So yeah. it's like, you were also in this position of like, okay, like, right. I'm not exactly. Because yeah. I want to do anything right. I can to protect them. So how do you, yeah. So, you know, you, Milo has his surgery and, you know, looking through the, the neck, like all of the months that you had that experience, how, how did, um, well, two things, what role then did COVID play? How were you able to parent and, and be with him through his, his ups and downs in the NICU? So, ugh, it was really hard. I mean, I was there every single day. I'm, I'm in the beginning when we were at that second hospital, I missed a couple of days so that John wasn't able to visit like during the week really, because he was trying to, after work, spend time with Charlie because she was handling things so hardly with us like coming and going. So I missed a couple of days because I was letting him have like the full three hours on like Sundays. I let him do that twice. First thought that he was going to be in the hospital for two weeks. Mm-hmm. So we were like, we can do this for two weeks. Right. That's no problem. We can handle this. But then we found out that the repair was not as successful as we thought. Mm-hmm. And that they were going to try another method to repair his esophagus. And immediately the next day, pretty much a couple days later, they knew that it was not successful. And the surgeon wanted to do that same procedure again that just had not worked. And it would have been like a month and a half at this point. And he had had, besides like his surgical issues, he was doing great. No Brady episodes. He wasn't on oxygen. Like he was doing really well. He had feeding issues, obviously. So an NG, NJ, he was like throwing up a lot. But besides that, he was doing really well. And at that point, they weren't rounding in the room either because of COVID. So I felt very out of the loop a lot of times. I was like completely relying on the nurses for information, which is wonderful. But we all know that surgeons um, and doctors don't always communicate perfectly with the nurses. So I, was, I wasn't always getting all the information or game plans or such. So I started doing some research myself. I reached out to um, Cincinnati. Boston is very well known for children with 
TEFs, esophagus issues. And then I reached out to Lurie's, uh, Anna Robert H. Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago. And all of them came back saying the same thing, that they would not do that repair the same way again, mm-hmm. that the research shows that like 99% of the time it does not work and recommended a different course of action. And so with everything going on, we decided that we needed to transfer hospitals again, which was super complicated in the middle of COVID. I was like, do I uproot my entire family and go to Boston? Because that's the best place for him to get treatment during a global pandemic, rip my child out of school who's already struggling, my husband who is struggling immensely with depression and substance issues. And do I go by myself? Like, what do I do? So Mm -hmm. we decided to transfer to uh, Lurie's in Chicago. I, you know, we had to get on the same page, my home family, it was going to affect my mom a lot. She was the one picking up Charlie from school every day. And because it was further, she was going to have to have more responsibility. And John was not going to be able to visit as much because of how far it was with his work schedule and, you know, him wanting to be there for Charlie. And we made the transfer. So then we were at a new hospital, which had very different COVID restrictions. So you guys both, your NICU was uh, private rooms, right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. 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 So we went from being in a pod to then being in a child, a true children's hospital that had mm-hmm. private rooms, mm-hmm. um, which for us meant that we were able to be in the same room as Milo together, John and I, for the first time. Wow. wow. And he was how many, how old at this point? A month and a half. Wow. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was your first moment together. Yes. I mean, like we, we were in the delivery room together and then we had the moment as they were like loading him into the ambulance. We took like a few fast pictures of me, like poor lighting in in (laughs) a wheelchair with with masks on. Yeah. Yeah. With numb legs. With with no kneecaps whatsoever. (laughs) They were not there. (laughs) Kneecap who? Right. Exactly. So yeah, we had our first Wow. moment together at what was the that new, like uh incredible mm-hmm. I mean it was just like such a special 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 moment we had wanted this second baby for so long yeah. and we were finally together and it was for a very short amount of time very very magical but then things happened I go home we go to sleep the next day um I got back downtown to meet with the surgeon and to go over the new game plan. Um, And I got home that afternoon, like around 1.30. And at 3.30, mind you, Milo has had zero incident at this point. Like he has had a very, besides surgery drama and like COVID drama, a very uneventful first month and a half. And at 3.30, I got a call that I needed to get downtown immediately that Milo was having a Brady episode and that they had to bag him. Mm-hmm. And that I I need to get down there that he was not okay. So John decided Charlie was home from school at that point. He was going to stay with Charlie and I was going to race downtown. So I got there and there were like 20 people in the room and they were like, all right, take your shirt off, get in that chair. Like we're putting him on you. We can't get him to come out of this. Wow. And so nothing prepares you to have your basically like noodle like baby 
just thrown on your chest. And ev- then everyone stared at the monitors, like watching to see if like he would start to come out of it. And like a li- there was a little bit of a change and they're like, okay, okay, this is working. Okay. You stay there, mom. No one knew my name at that point. And, and they're like, let's see if this works. And I'm like, what do you mean? Let's see if this works. So I stayed there all night, I believe. I think my sister brought me dinner at some, no, my sister tried to bring me dinner, but I was like, I can't get up so because he, I'm scared just... if I put him down that he'll start having the episode again. Cause I had no idea. Like I, I, yeah. he had never had an episode. So I was like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'll hold this baby. I'll try to do like whatever I can. Cause at right. that point I really felt like Milo didn't know who I was. Right. I, I felt like he probably thought that like one of his primary nurses was his mom. Um, Cause I, I was only able to visit like a short amount of time. And like, right. even though it was like the most awful moment of my life, I also felt this like, Oh my God, he knows who I am. When I looked yes. at the monitors and saw that yes. he was like slowly starting to yes. improve. I was like, Oh my God, Milo knows who I am. And I was just yeah. like, yeah. falling like you needed yeah. that yeah I, I needed it so bad and yeah. I feel yeah. awful that that was where my head went but I was like oh my god mm-hmm. he knows I'm his mommy mm-hmm. yeah and we're gonna be okay if I can sit in this chair and not pee eat or drink ever <laughs> yeah. again but I can help him improve yeah. I will do that yeah yep so I sat there that morning they're like okay we think he's improved enough that like you can go home and like be there for uh, so John can go to work and Charlie can go to school. And then after I got Charlie to school, I went back down and they said that they were worried that he might have meningitis or oh that he was septic, oh um, but they weren't positive. So they did a lumbar puncture and they ruled out meningitis and they started treating him for sepsis. And then he did okay. Like on and off, he was having fevers and when he transferred, he, this is so weird. He had this like weird rash on his stomach or on his chest and on his back and on his face. And they were like, we think that it's a laundry. We just changed laundry providers and we think it's a reaction to the laundry. Another baby has the same thing. So, and I was like, but I bring all my own linens. Like I was bringing in sheets and like stuff to make it like seem like his little area um, and be personal. And so I was like, I don't think it's a laundry thing, but like, you're my doctor and I trust you. So mm-hmm. let's go with that. Um, and so he like strangely was having like all these fevers. And then like a week later, I got a call at 2.30 in the morning um, that he had suffered a couple of episodes and fevers and I needed to get back down there again. So again, I did the race downtown over an hour away. Um, and got there and held him and, and he came through it again. And they decided that he probably was just so sick from his esophagus not being repaired that that was what was causing the issues. So they had postponed his surgery once, um, because of fevers and episodes and because obviously anytime they open up a child, they want them to be as healthy as possible. Right. Yeah. But they decided that he was now at this point too sick that we could not wait any longer. He needed yeah. to have surgery. Um, and so they scheduled the surgery for December 20th or 21st. And they said it went really well. They fixed everything. Um, that needed to be repaired. And they believed that the leak that was still remaining in the esophagus was closed. Hmm. And so we were really excited. It what was so great about being at this new hospital was the private rooms allowed us to be in his room 
when he had surgery instead of having to go to like this general waiting area which was amazing it's just such a weird feeling to be waiting for news in a room with all these people that are there for like such varying reasons so for john and i to be like together first of all and also like privately while he was having this surgery was like such a relief because i was nervous going into it having you know him being not as healthy this time around going into his surgery so that was such a relief and then a couple of days later we got a phone call that he had suffered uh another brady episode and now this time he had had seizures along with it oh taylor so was this in the middle of the night again yeah and i have ptsd about and i was just gonna say that ringtone sleeping and sleeping i mean like literally they actually had to bag him over the vent this time oh my god because he was still ventilated from having surgery and they were worried again a separate time that he had meningitis or had had a stroke and i kind of like called my nurses from the last hospital that i like had had a longer relationship with and i was like do i need to be worried at this point and she said yeah you should be really worried now we didn't think he was gonna make it so he had another lumbar puncture to roll out meningitis a second time and it came back negative and he had two blood transfusions at that point but then he they put him on phenobarb uh for the seizures and he didn't have any seizures after they put him on the the seizure medication he started to do a lot better at this point oh taylor knowing you we know that there's a lot more to come but we want to make sure that the mamas in our sisterhood have the opportunity to hear all of it. And also that you have the opportunity to share um, the remainder of your NICU stay as well as just what healing looked like after the NICU. And so we're actually going to cut this right here for part one because we don't want to skim past anything for part two. So uh, we first of all just want to thank you again and again and again for reliving this with us. We know that it takes a lot of courage and emotional energy to really look back and think about all that you've gone through. And we haven't even gotten to part two yet. (laughs) And so we just want to just, I really truly thank you for your vulnerability and for, for being willing to share your story because it's so powerful. And um, so to the Nikki mamas listening, make sure to stay tuned for part two, but um, specifically our COVID Nikki mamas. We want to take a moment here to honor you and to recognize you because what you've endured throughout this pandemic as a COVID NICU mama is extreme levels of isolation that only a few of you understand. And so I'm a mess. Okay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Just know that we see you and we honor the courage that it took to do many of these hard things alone. And um, we hope that even if you had to endure them alone, then we hope you feel loved and surrounded now by this sisterhood who believes in you and honors your significance as a mom and also an advocate that you had to be during a crazy pandemic. So um, we see you, we love you, and Taylor, we love you. And love um, you guys. <laughs> we can't wait to share part two, but thank you so much for being here today and make sure to tune in next week for part two. So we love you mamas and we'll be back soon. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. If you loved this episode, we'd be so grateful for a review on any of the podcast platforms. And we'd love to continue connecting with you via our social media pages or a private Facebook group. And ultimately, Nikki Mama, welcome to the sisterhood.